Hello, we the people. This is Carmela Silliberti. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we are going to discuss Labor Day. Have you ever paused to ask why labor should be celebrated? God celebrated his labor. Scripture tells us by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on that day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on that day he rested from all the work of creation that he had accomplished. Having been made in God's image and having been given all the earth, we too are to labor. Each of us are gifted with unique skills, intelligence, and experiences that we employ not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. However, Even if we choose to benefit others, our labor remains our own. It is our natural right that no other person has a claim to. Our labor creates property. It follows that our property, which we labored for, is our natural right that no other person has a claim to. John Locke in the 1600s explained it this way. Whether we consider natural reason, which tells us that men, being once born, have a right to their preservation, and consequently to meat and drink and such other things as nature affords for their subsistence, or revelation, which gives us an account of those grants God made of this world to Adam and to Noah and his sons. It is very clear that God, as King David says in the Psalms, has given the earth to the children of men, giving it to mankind in common. Locke is saying here that either way you look at it, from natural law or biblical teaching, Each one of us has a right to find sustenance in the bounty of nature. Locke continues, Though the earth and all inferior creatures be common to all men, yet every man has a property in his own person. This nobody has any right to but himself. The labor of his body and the work of his hands, we may say, are properly his. Whatever so then he removes out of the state nature hath provided and left it in, he hath mixed his labor with, and joined to it something that is his own, and thereby makes it his property. It being by him removed from the common state nature hath placed it in, it hath by his labor something annexed to it, that excludes the common right of other men." For this labor, being the unquestionable property of the laborer, no man but he can have a right to what that is once joined to, at least where there is enough and as good left in common for others. In short, Locke is explaining the basic principle that what you labor for is your own because you worked for it. In speaking of the earliest days of man, before man agreed to a scheme of land ownership and currency, Locke goes on. He that is nourished by the acorns he picked up under an oak, of the apples he gathered from the trees in the woods, has certainly appropriated them to himself. Nobody can deny, but the nourishment is his. I ask then, when did they begin to be his? When he digested? When he ate? Or when he boiled? or when he brought them home, or when he picked them up. And it is plain, if the first gathering made them not his, nothing else could. That labor put a distinction between them and common, that added something to them more than nature, the common mother of all, had done. 
and so they became his private right. In other words, our property right invests the moment we apply our labor or work to a thing, a part of us. Our limited time on earth is now joined to it. And because of this, we have a God-given or natural right to our own person and to our own labor. We determine how we will labor and for how long. We determine how much time with loved ones and in leisure we will sacrifice to accumulate beyond what is needed for our individual basic subsistence. We determine where the excess fruits of our labor are to be directed. Yet, our right to labor, to our property, is being eroded, if not flatly disrespected. Examples abound in national news, from student loan debt transfer to government control of farmers' crops, to deficit spending. The basic principle that our labor is our own has been forgotten by many of our elected officials and bureaucrats. They have long stopped viewing government expenditures, regulations, and monetary policy as infringing on our labor. Rather, our labor is now viewed as an entitlement of the state. This violation of our most basic rights isn't limited to our federal government. We see plenty of examples here in Pennsylvania. And sadly, this entitled attitude isn't limited to one party or another. Just this week, our fine Pennsylvania legislators proposed bills that would exempt the $10,000 student loan debt transfer from the calculation of Pennsylvania income tax. They also proposed to create a $3,000 alternative fuel vehicle purchase rebate program, along with gimmies for home electric vehicle charging stations, easy pass toll credits for alternative fuel vehicles, and the waiving out of alternative fuel vehicle registration fees. Where did they think the money to fund such a program will come from? Do they believe in Santa Claus? Perhaps there's a money fairy. No, no. It comes from our labor in one of two ways, either directly through state and federal taxation or indirectly through federal printing of money. Either way, we and future generations are laboring for the state. The state, which is completely clueless and detached from the consequences of their actions, fully incapable of knowing the needs of the more than 5 million households in our commonwealth, are going to force us to labor for their agenda. The arrogance you and I, under the police power of the state, under threat of imprisonment, are to subsidize our neighbor's purchase of a new alternative fuel vehicle? And don't for a second allow these petty tyrants to normalize their actions. Don't for a second allow them to say the bill will only be paid by the wealthy who can afford it. 88% of Pennsylvanians live above the poverty line. They are, by definition, in possession of more than what is needed for basic subsistence. All of these 88%, not just the most wealthy among them, will be laboring for a know-nothing politician's agenda. And what are the 12% of Pennsylvania's population living below the poverty line? Is it appropriate, is it moral, to be contemplating subsidies for new vehicles as they struggle? And no, subsidies do not create jobs, nor grow the economy, nor benefit the poor. 
Why? As we said a moment ago, these programs are sourced in one of two ways, direct taxation or indirectly through federal printing of money, which increases the money supply, which decreases the value, which means we all must labor longer for the same amount of goods. Also this week, Senator Kamita boasted that five elementary schools in the Coatesville Area School District will receive more than $163,000 in total funding to provide students with fresh fruit and vegetable snacks during the school day. This grant is funded by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Fresh Fruit and Vegetable Program and administered through the Pennsylvania Department of Education. The funding for the Coatesville Area School District comes as part of more than $7 million in the Fresh Fruit and Veggie Program grants awarded to 266 elementary schools across the Commonwealth. So to be clear, Pennsylvania's budget can't cover snacks for school kids, but it can cover subsidies for adults purchasing new vehicles of a certain kind. Got it? And because Pennsylvania's budget is so poorly administered, we are going to confiscate the earnings of individuals from across the nation to pay for our school snacks. Okay? Do you see how these are not serious people? Do you see how they play on our emotions? Senator Kamita is proud of this as if it's an accomplishment. Our benevolent senator is feeding the children. And let us not even begin to address the strings attached to receiving money from the federal government, how this erodes our state sovereignty, how this contributes to federal deficit spending, how this increases inflation, how millions across our nation are being taxed to pay for state programs with no representation in that state's government. Also, let us not discuss the inefficiency of collecting money from taxpayers across the nation and all the hands that it must pass through, and Greece, along its way to arriving in the bank account of a local school. How much of the dollar confiscated from the taxpayer makes it to our local school's bank account, do you think? Would you like another example? Back in April, both Senator Kamita and Representative John Lawrence proudly announced that $2 million in state funding was awarded to Oxford Main Street, Inc. for the reconstruction of the historic theater on 3rd Street. So our state can fund a $2 million rehab for a theater, and yet it needs $7 million from the federal government to give snacks to school kids. What is wrong with Lawrence and Kamita? Lawrence stated that this is an exciting day for Oxford. Today's news is the next step in the continued revitalization of the downtown core and a recognition of the hard work that so many have been a part of over the last few years. And there you have it, the fallacy that government subsidies can revitalize an economy. And where is the recognition of the hardworking Pennsylvania taxpayers that funded this boondoggle under penalty of law? Not to be left out, commit a piles on. The performing arts can be a powerful catalyst for recreation, education, and economic revitalization in our communities. I'm proud to support this project and excited to see the historical theater return to its former glory. As we emerge from the pandemic, places for neighbors and visitors to come together to watch a film, enjoy a concert, or take in a lecture will be more important than ever. Serious question here. Are Lawrence and Kamita visually impaired? 
Did they fail to see Oxford School District's massive taxpayer-funded state-of-the-art auditorium less than two miles away from the historic theater? I guess they missed it. But good news. Taxpayers from across the Commonwealth under penalty of law are now forced to invest in a second theater in downtown Oxford. Again, our state needed more than $7 million from the federal government to pay for snacks, but has no problem in spending $2 million on a theater. That's right, peasants. Are you not entertained? Are you as offended at this as I am? So I recommend in celebration of Labor Day that you email your state senator and state representative and remind them that your labor belongs to you. Now, this action will not matter to them one whit, but it will matter to you. You are reestablishing yourself as the employer, not the employee of our elected officials. You are laying the foundation to hold your elected officials accountable in the next election cycle. If they don't return to the basic principles on which our government was established, you will vote them out in the primary. Thank you for joining me. I would love to hear from you. Please submit comments or questions via Facebook at Carmela Celebrity ESQ or email me at contact at CarmelaCelebrity.com or call me 302-584-3594. Want to help build the constitutional conservative movement in Chester County? Subscribe to my podcast. It's free and subscriptions help us get the word out. Thanks again.